Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Wilsh, your host. And for those of you watching on YouTube or Facebook, you can see I'm on my boat. I've been saying that I was going to be on that again this year. Last year, I was not on a dock. This dock has Wi-Fi. Last year, I was. it was a mess. I ran out of data in the middle of the show and all that, but we're good to go here. I want to show everyone the little setup. Here we go. I took this just before the show. Okay, this is just before the show. And this is my 41-year-old boat. And a little behind the scenes. So that's it. That's the old boat. Um, so I'm really excited about the show tonight. We have uh, Matthew Shadagas. We have Kevin Knuth and Gary Voorhees. We're uh, a great cast for us tonight. We're going to have uh, talk about UAPX and all kinds of things uh, that should be very interesting. And just to let you know, coming up on Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, I have Katie Grabowski, and she is going to be talking about a, uh, a ranch that she grew up on, spent some time at in Colorado, where there was a lot of high strangest, strangeness going on, a lot of investigation into it. And it's fascinating. I heard her talk. Um, she told this story out in Pine Bush when I was out there. It was very, very interesting. Our blog this week, A UFO Landing in a Meeting with Eisenhower by Charles Lear. And there was a clip. There's a clip going around. There's a, a really, I hope you get a chance to check out this um, YouTube channel. I want to say it's called Eyes on Cinema. And there's, it seems like hundreds of really great vintage UFO clips and interviews and things like that. So uh, check that out. There was an interview with uh, a New Hampshire a legislator that said that he was uh, talking to Eisenhower years ago and about this type of thing. Whether it's true or not, I have no idea, but that is a great channel. I'm trying to get a hold of the person that runs the channel to do a show with him. So <clears throat> I want to thank everyone that supports the show. Anyone can do that. Uh, all you have to do is go over to podcastufo.com and see support the show. And thank you all that listen to the show every week and show up here and uh, face uh, Facebook and on YouTube. Always appreciated. And we're not going to be able to have time to take some calls, but I will try to take some of your questions in chat. If you do post questions, please do put them in caps so that I catch them. All right. I'm going to add Matthew. Welcome, Matthew. And Kevin. Welcome, Kevin. And Gary. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much. Uh, this is going to be fun. I'm really excited to talk to you. I don't know who wants to take it first but um i heard a uapx uh i don't know was it uh, it was pre covid that seems the only way i judge about everything these days and uh so i don't know who wants to take it but does anyone want to talk about the beginnings of that and your what your goals are and i know you work with data and you want to share the data with everyone and it's a non-profit or it's going to be a non-profit i don't know is it now a non-profit yeah, uh, currently we're a nonprofit based out of Florida. Um, we just made this switch from Oregon to Florida, but originally we were an Oregon nonprofit. Uh, me and Kevin Day had started the company. It called me up one day and it's like, hey, uh, you want to start a company with me? <laughs> I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> I didn't actually even take them serious at first. And then sure enough, uh, you know, now it's, you know, four years later, we've done our first expedition and uh, we're still still crunching the data from that so uh yeah come a long ways with you know 
barely anything. <laughs> so we're, we're doing pretty good. Yeah. And what if, uh, I watched and I had Caroline uh, Corey on and uh, you all were in the, the tear in the sky, tear in the sky, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and uh, I thought it was the equipment was amazing that you had there. And you did catch an, an anomaly and then a couple of things in the sky that was pretty interesting. And I, I had thought, you know, many times too bad there couldn't be like a permanent setup with so much equipment like that, because I think about anywhere you could locate yourself, something's going to happen overhead sooner or later. You know, it seems, seems like that. Well, they and, can, uh, there can be, there can be a lot of permanent setups. I, I encourage people to go out to, uh, you know, purchase things like UFO daps, which is a, a, a product by uh, Ron Olsh, which is highlighted in the movie. That's actually the equipment we caught the anomaly on. Um, so that atmospheric anomaly that we're still trying to figure out what it is, uh, he, that's that's the actual system that provided us with most of the data that we're, we're actually get, got. So. Wow, wow. And so, I don't know, well, first of all, um, I know you've all been on my show in the past, but why don't we go around, Matthew? Uh, first of all, can you? Who do we have? Do we have extra guests? Okay. <laughs> uh, Matthew, can you give your background and and what you're you know what you're actually doing in in the projects? Sure. Uh, so yeah, I'm a Professor Matthew Shidagis. I'm at University at Albany SUNY together with uh, Kevin, and uh, so he's the Kevin's the one who got me into this i think and gary and kevin day recruited kevin kevin knuth um but yeah my uh so my uh uh real day job is to is a, as as an experimental astroparticle physicist and i specialize in direct detection uh techniques looking for particle dark matter and uh for on uapx my um doing a little bit of everything, taught myself some image processing that I knew a little bit about in graduate school. Um, but, but my, um, but the biggest thing I look at is uh, radiation detection to see what kinds of anomalies there exist above naturally occurring, uh, uh, background radiation, see if they might have some sort of, uh, a connection to UAP. Interesting. And Kevin? Yes, I'm, uh, also a professor at the University of Albany in the uh, physics department. My work is currently mainly focused in astrophysics and some work in theoretical physics. So I am interested in detecting and characterizing planets around other stars. And, um, and I also do some work in quantum, um, quantum foundations, the foundations of physics and quantum mechanics and relativity, that sort of thing. So all, all fascinating. This you both of what you and Matthew do just fascinates me. Yeah, well, that, that's part of my problem. I'm these are all bright, shiny things that I can't help but run towards. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and UAPs are just another bright, shiny thing. So, so um, that's a good thing, though, and, and hopefully we'll we'll be learning something, which will be great. Kevin, I remember when you were on my show the first time you mentioned that you were going to this conference a lot and this guy started talking about earthquake lights and everyone thought he was kind of a loony, lunatic and then ends up he really had something there and you said, this is the type of ground floor that I want to be in on when it comes to UAP. 
I remember you saying yeah, something that similar. Yeah, that was that was a long time ago when I was I was at um, I was a research scientist at NASA Ames Research Center in um, in the Bay Area in California, mm-hmm. and it was around 2003, and I had gotten some funding from NASA to study planetary nebulae, which are clouds of gas surrounding dying stars. And we were using Hubble images to um, create three-dimensional models of these things. So we were at a at a NASA meeting, uh, just local at that at the um, on base, where um, we where we had post basically a large poster displaying our work and describing what we were doing. And my poster happened to be next to um, Friedman Freud, which who was a a researcher who had gotten some funding to look into earthquake lights. And I had never heard of earthquake lights. I thought these were kind of strange. So I talked to him and he basically walked me through his work and he described that, you know, people see often see lights appearing above the ground during earthquakes and Um, He explained that scientists don't necessarily believe they're real. They think that people are hallucinating because, oh, they're under all this stress from an earthquake. So they're, of course, seeing lights and crazy things like this. And he was um, working under the hypothesis that when you have a lot of stress in the Earth's crust, um, you've got a lot of quartz um, in the rock and you get what's called a piezoelectric effect. So a lot of pressure on on a quartz crystal will give you a a separation of electric charge and high electric fields. And he was postulating that these electric fields were basically ionizing the air above the ground and creating lights. And, um, And he was, his idea was that if this is actually happening, you should be able to predict earthquakes or at least measure the amount of stress in the ground by looking at these electric fields. And um, so I kind of asked around, I thought, well, this is strange. This sounds really cool, but I've never heard of this. And I asked some of the other researchers and they at the at NASA and they said, well, yeah, he's been working. He's been talking about this for 20 years and nobody believes they're real. And the people are just hallucinating these things. And it seems like it's nonsense. But, you know, what he's saying makes kind of make, could make some sense. But it's hard to imagine that this is a real thing. You, we, this would have been discovered already. And, and it turns out that um, now it's made about five years ago, there were um, <clears throat> earthquake, earthquake lights recorded um, by security cameras um, during two earthquakes, I think one in South America, one in Japan, within a few days of each other. And, um, and this was finally enough to convince some scientists that, hey, wait a minute, this is actually real. And yeah. Um, fortunate for him, he, he was he's still around, and um, he was all over the news because he was the world's expert on earthquake lights because he's the only person who ever studied them. Um, you know, yeah. but this is one of these examples of of a thing where people were unable, unwilling to believe they were real, and and scientists didn't study it. And so nobody knew about it. And did you um, hear? Did you hear what you said though? You said that I would have known about it. That's that's a lot of that's it, unfortunately that's not science, and that's that's what you do here uh, when that's it comes exactly to UA, right. you know, UA Scientists UA. are supposed to study things that aren't known, and um, yeah, and it's and and UAPs are just another example of this. People have been seeing these things literally for thousands of years. I mean, there are reports from Roman times that aren't that different than the reports nowadays. And right. 
we have this strange impression and, and Congress has basic, you know, falsely given this impression that this has somehow been a problem since 2004. Oh, this has been going on for hundreds of years. I have reports yeah. of UAPs coming, of disks coming out of the water, hovering above ships and then taking off into the sky, going back into the 1800s. I have and this. We're, and we're yeah. debating things like, oh, are these maybe Russian or Chinese? It's like, I know. not if it's from 1890, it's not. <laughs> yeah, here's, here's an account right here from 1796, I believe it is, which oh. was found in a ship's log, which I think is really amazing. Uh, yeah, a lot Gary, of these are found in ship's log because they kept good yeah. records. And, they, right. and, and and this is fair. And and in addition to that, UAPs apparently are seem to be associated with water, So, um, which uh -huh. is why the U.S. Navy was seeing them. And um, so they appear in ship's logs going back into the 1700s. Yeah. That's right. And, this, and nobody talks about this. I don't think people want to talk about it because yeah. it kind of throws the narrative away from the whole, oh, they could be Chinese or Russian or maybe somebody has advanced tech. Yeah, exactly. somebody has advanced tech. We don't. Right. <laughs> I would like to know about this. Yeah, that's right. But and this I'm going to show an a picture. That this doesn't get talked about. I think that's important. Yes. Uh, so, Gary, uh, right before, though, right after you talk, I'm going to show the picture that everyone has been talking about. I got about 50 emails, the uh, Calvine uh, UFO. But Gary, uh, why don't you give your background a little bit about yourself and your involvement in the UAPX? Um, so Gary Voorhees, uh, I'm sure that horse has been beaten to death. Uh, I was uh, part of the crew that tracked unknown aircraft 2004 with uh, the USS Nimitz carrier group. Um, and honestly, I think that uh, the only reason they just they picked that point is because of liability. Uh, if they start to admit anything past that, it starts to become pretty pretty big liable issues. So, but uh, other than that, I'm uh, the president of UAPX, uh, one of the co-founders, and uh, I'd continue to run the day-to-day -day operations of UAPX along with uh -huh. all these guys. Believe me, uh, I only do a small bit bit of the work. So these these guys uh, carry most of the load. And, and let's talk about uh, I know in, um, you know, tearing this guy, there was all this equipment. I know, uh, you know, David um, Mason had a lot of that equipment. But do you now have equipment that you can set up again? And are you set up somewhere? Do you set up occasionally? Do you have like certain events that you try to put together? How does all that work? Uh, well, we're currently we've got some projects uh, that we're we're not talking about yet, but we are planning on a second uh, uh, a second trip out to, uh, to California if we can, uh, and then also we're also talking about setting up a permanent station as a uh, like a uh, a control study at a, a farm in New York uh, that doesn't have a ton of reports for UAP, and that's going to be uh, you know. Our, uh, our our litmus for exactly what uh, it that's just going to be uh, where we're going to be testing everything off of based mm -hmm. on based off of you know the activity we might find there but we don't expect to find anything there which is exactly why we're going to set something up there um that's going to be on private property so that we can you know maintain it without worry and then uh we have a collaborator in California that may be willing to let us set something permanently up on their roof 
So, uh, but we, we're we're playing around with a couple of different places, but we're looking for a second location to set up a permanent installation, and then on top of that, we will have uh, you know the Osiris and uh, you know Jeremy uh, with uh, his truck that we are able to do you know mobile. You know, we're about to we, we we can mobilize to areas and check them out and just scout out areas and see whether they're even worth spending the money to go do a full research project on. So, um, yeah, and we do have equipment. Yeah, we have uh, UFO depths, FLIR cameras. Uh, we've got uh, every, everything that was useful with getting data in the movie. We have. So uh, there are three, the three devices that we primarily got our data from was the UFO DAP, the FLIR cameras, and uh, a, a muon detector called the Cosmic Watch, uh, which detects different types of energy levels and radiation. Uh, Matthew knows he's, he's, our, he's our radiation guy. He can tell you, you know, four, four hours worth of information on that, that beautiful little device. But uh, through correlating the data between those three devices, we, that's where we were able to get most of our information. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the rest of the stuff was just really pretty to look at. <laughs> okay, here comes a question here. Um, how can we use the methods of natural science to study beings who can trick our instruments? There's been, um, you, before you discount that question, you know, I mean, you go to the, uh, the Tic Tac, supposedly, there was some type of radar um, issues that could have been something that was, you know, messed with or something like that. I mean, I don't really know exactly, but I heard that, and um, I don't know how true that is, that there was some type of problem with the radar when these Tic Tacs were in the area. Um, well, um, we never had a problem with Spy, except for when it accelerated too fast for us to track them. And uh, and I'm not sure if the actual radars on the, on the uh, F-18s were actually able to even track them at all. I think they were getting data off of Link 16 to... Uh, know where these these objects were, um, but the Princeton and the the phase rated uh, radar off of the uh, Hawkeye were able to track them no problem. Um, I would like. To, go ahead. I would like to add that. Well, I would ask the person asking a question. Well, what's the alternative? You give up. You don't try to study at all. There's no alternative except giving up, which obviously you know, we want to do, or switching to a, a belief. Um, instead of instead of collection of facts, which if you look at the history of science, I mean, it's done pretty well so far, right? The reason why we're on a computer right now and you've got Wi-Fi on the dock is because science works. So, so saying that, well, science might not work in this case, so let's not even try, that's, uh, that's you're doomed to failure from the start then. So, so you, you still have to try regardless of, of, of because there's, like I said, there's no, it's no alternative. Well, you know, it's kind of how I feel about SETI. At least they're, mm -hmm. they're trying. You know I mean? It's, yeah. it's better well, it's than not it. trying. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. It, well, it boils down to like the Edison you know, thing, you know, how many, how many times try everything. And then when, when you don't find it, when you know, that's one thing that doesn't work, you know, right. yeah. Um, and, yeah. and another yeah. thing that we were doing to eliminate the possibility of problems is that we're using many different types of equipment. We're looking for, we're look, you know, we're watching the infrared light, we're recording infrared images, recording visible images. We're recording um, higher energy particles and radiation we're recording, um, we're going to be recording magnetic fields and electric fields, and we're looking for 
uh, looking at spectra. So we've got many different types of equipment out here. And if, you know, one of them somehow gets spoofed, well, it gets spoofed and we'll see that as an anomaly, right? And uh, we just work with what we get. But I think mm -hmm. using as many different types of equipment as we can helps first it provides as much data as possible and um, and it'll help us learn more about these things. Do you think um, what we can observe, you know, the, the, do you think we're seeing more, as I say, UAP or UFOs, whatever you want to call them, um, because of the spectra that we're looking in compared to like the FLIR uh, cameras and things like that? Uh, no. Because do you think we're seeing more that they were there all the time, but we're seeing them now when we didn't see them before? Anyone? I, uh, I, I, the perfect analogy is the blue car analogy. You know, you never see blue cars until somebody tells you, hey, I never see any blue cars anymore. You know, it, it, this is prevalent in the news. We've got Congress meeting about it. We've got movies coming out about it. You know, it's it's never been more prevalent in human society than right now, or at least in the United States. <clears throat> So whenever that happens, you're gonna just have people looking more often. And when you have yeah, people I think looking, 1952 was a comparable year. <laughs> it seems like well, yeah. you know, everyone was they, looking in the sky back then, you know. And they were seeing yeah. them all over the. They had big flaps yeah. during that those years too. That's right. And then yeah. and then it died out with the economic crisis. And you know, once once and especially during the depression, you didn't you didn't <laughs> you didn't hear about UFOs during then. You know, so mm. when everybody's trying to you know live, that's a mm. different story. So. Yeah. Here's another question just popped in. Uh, Gary, have you been able to bait UFOs? No, but we might have something in the works to try to do that. And how we can't talk about that, though. We can't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, a lot of people have told me, well, this uh, CE5 and all that, you know, like they can summon it in. And then you hear, uh, and, and I, I have no real comment. Uh, people that listen to my show know how, how I feel about Dr. Stephen Greer. Uh, so we don't have to really go there. I don't, yeah, need I don't hate mail. I have, uh, I, have, I, have a, I have a short comment to make. Be kind, All be right. kind, it, folks. Be I'll kind. try. If it's real, if it's real, then what you would do is do your CE5 several thousand times and then do it wrong on purpose or not do it as a control. <laughs> and that would prove that it works. No, I'm dead serious. Okay. And like, you can't do it one time. Be like, oh my God, it worked. That's not how science works. You need to do something hundreds, if not thousands of times more. And even that's not good enough. You also need a control to show that what you're doing actually makes a difference. I haven't seen anything close to that from the C5 people. And if you say to them, it's like, oh, you don't understand, blah, blah, blah. You're just a non-believer. But I'm sorry, but that's how science works is you need to do multiple trials. I would, I, would add, I would add another thing that, that's important to keep in mind is that we don't know, we don't yet know what these objects all are. Right. And if you are looking at something and you don't know what it is and you believed you performed some kind of procedure and made it appear, you don't actually know what you made appear. So how do you know that it worked? And in what sense did it work? That, that doesn't even, you can't even draw those conclusions reasonably. So, to go back. So, you're, so, so if you don't know what you're looking at, you can't know that your procedure to summon it worked. Um, mm. And and that's that's inherently the uh, already the big problem there. So, you know, if you can show that it's an alien spacecraft, and then you can show that when you do this, you summon an alien spacecraft every time. That's fine. But, 
but we don't know that these lights in the sky that people are seeing are being summoned because we don't even know what they are. But they haven't exactly. been able to show what they are. No one's shown what they are yet. So right. Right. I think that's important to remember. We we're trying to get at the truth here, not not yes. other things. Yeah. yeah. As for as for the company itself, we we base nothing in CE five. Um, I actually there's a there's a small uh, ranch near me called the Darby Ranch that does CE five, and you know I can't I can't talk about whether it works or not. I'll be honest. Every single time I've gone there to check it out, uh, I've seen absolutely nothing. But they you know they they have you know catalogs and catalogs of pictures of you know things things you know i don't know what they are uh but you know they seem pretty confident that they can do it but i've yet to be at one that actually has summoned anything and well i have a friend that went to a one in new york and it was uh well it was pretty interesting i'm gonna try to be kind um but uh, they were seeing something when the sun was just right, but it was probably, I don't know, do you see space junk reflected? I don't know what it was they were seeing. And then uh, when it was cloudy, um, the invisible UFO landed in the backyard and it was there. All you had to do is just know it was there. Ah. So yeah, that's- uh, So like the king's new clothes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I would I would imagine that if this technique somehow really did work, that you would be able to get excellent data, and we would have I would seen think that. So. Yeah, yeah. But it, that doesn't seem to be the case. Well, either. it's written it's written right into the rules that you have to abide by when you go to one of these things. You know, you can't have weapons. You have to have good intentions. You know, you I mean, shoot those aliens. Yeah, look, I mean, yeah. well, you know. I, I, I never brought my gun with me when when I went to the Darby Ranch just because I respected you know I really did I I, I wanted to give it it's 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 true shake you know I want to follow their rules do it wholeheartedly you know I, I meditate on a regular basis so I mean meditation wasn't a problem for me I find it a great focus but I still didn't see anything and I still couldn't produce any any real evidence to me that they could do anything but i only went twice you know i'm going to continue to go at, whenever i have a chance they do it they meet once a month um but yet you know and and i if i do see something i will be the first one to hop on here and be like look it's you know it's 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 real this happens it hasn't happened at all i have a question okay. because if if you if you have to have good intentions and and positive thoughts and not bring weapons and things like this. Why are Earth's militaries almost all of them seeing these things? I think they're more interested in nuclear That's and missiles. Kind of strange, nuclear. right? I mean, that would be clearly clearly their nuclear weapon sites don't have good intentions for anybody, and um, yet we have they're frequented by UFOs. So I mean, so. I mean, maybe, yeah, you could, you, I mean, you could make up an answer to that, of course, but, so, but it just seems suspicious. It seems a little strange. So no, but an, people that meditate thing, and nukes are the two, two attractors. No, no, nothing that's suspicious to me again is if it works. Okay. Yeah. Here I go. Extreme high resolution picture of the ship landing. Oh, wait, why not? Right. That doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. Why can't I just, if, if you can call them down, then let's get some high resolution stuff. You know, the, 
the camera on my phone can show like a speck of dust on my cat's whisker. So yeah. let's get a high resolution if they're actually landing and you can call them down. But reproducibility, remember, that's the key to science. It, 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 like it, it, you, t- you take hydrogen and oxygen under, the, under you know, proper conditions and energy and stuff, you make water. It's not like, oh, you know, the hydrogen, the oxygen atoms are just not feeling it today. So they're not going to make a water molecule today. That's <laughs> yeah. not how the world works. That's how Yuri Geller works. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Johnny, I can't believe we let's, still talk about it. For, for the sake yeah. of those involved, let's just hope that that meditation doesn't summon nuclear weapons. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. would be bad. That would be really that's, bad. That's, yeah. that's well, a if if, right if it summons these ships, it summons something far worse than yeah. nuclear weapons. Yeah. You know, you just you, cut it you out. Still, yeah. You still can't so convince I wanna, me. I'd like to talk about this photo. Every I've, I've got probably 35, conservatively, 35 emails in the last few days about this Calvine. Uh, this was in Scotland uh, back in 1990, supposedly this was taken. There was some witnesses. There was low-flying um, uh, military uh, planes that made a couple passes. Supposedly it hovered for about 10 minutes and then went vertical and then shot straight up. Mick West says it's a kite. Um, Gary, you thought it might be um, spliced in there, a mountain, a reflection on a lake. Um, but I don't know. Uh, hopefully, we'll find out more about this. Um, it does look very the the ship itself, whatever it is, does look very rough. But that doesn't, you know, how's it supposed to look? I have no idea. But um, anyone, uh, Matthew, I hadn't heard your comment. You had not seen this picture though, Matthew, right? I had not. Yeah. I, I have a very general comment though that's going to annoy you and our, All right. and our viewers. No, no, is, you you can. Is, no, but yeah. this is why you know this is why we founded. UAPX because mm-hmm. we need our own data because it's so hard to know what's in someone else's picture. It was years ago. This eyewitness said that. And so this is why we need our own data because then we know the data provenance. We know exactly what we're doing. And especially like Kevin said earlier, the multimodal sensors, what was really frustrating all these UFO pictures, you've got one picture. You can't tell size and shape of an object that way. You need at least two cameras to be able to triangulate, that's or right. you need a reference point in that one camera to do with one camera. The, the, so th- that's why we're trying to change the game in UAPX. It's what we call multi-messenger you know, ufology or UAP studies. You get the same object from multiple angles and different wavelengths in different ways so that you can't call it a kite. Or, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, reflection of a mountain. You know when something's anomalous because you have it from so many different perspectives. So I have no idea what that is. Maybe it's some anomalous, awesome thing. Or it's a spliced-in mountain, like Gary said. Or, you know, it's too dirty. Like in the Three Stooges, you take two dirty, you take two dirty um, paper plates and staple them together. You can get a UFO as well. So it's called Billy it's, Meyer. Yeah. yeah, it's impossible to know. And yeah. so, so I'm not saying that it's 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 wrong or hoax or anything of the sort. I'm just saying it's almost impossible to know once enough years have passed. That's why we need our own data and new new data. Well, let me ask you this: um, anyone can answer it, or you can all have your own opinion. But why, um, I understand you're your separate thing, but there's like the Galileo project. There's uh, Chris O'Brien is doing something. Mark D'Antonio with, uh, he was working uh, with someone else trying to get all this equipment. There's so many people that have the similar type of idea. You're using what it sounds like really expensive equipment 
and I and I wonder how weatherproof some of that is. Uh, but I'm just wondering why can't there be more cooperation? This is for everyone. You know, this this is could be the greatest story of all time if 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 it's if we discover what these things are. But have you thought about like working with someone, or you want to stay stay your own separate entity? Well, uh, anybody that's serious about doing UAPs that can leave their ego at the door and work shoulder to shoulder with us, we welcome wholeheartedly. Um, but see, the, the big the big thing is you have to check the ego at the door, and you have to bring something to the table. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put a plate a plate out for you if you didn't contribute, you know. And that's just the simple fact of the matter. That's that's real life. Um, we already collaborate with the SEU. Uh, oh, you do? We, okay. Yep. That's uh, right. We have a, I, know, yeah. I know both Kevin and Matthew were involved with them. Yes. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's an open invitation to literally anybody that's serious about UAP studies. You know, the, a lot of the reason why we frustrate everybody is because we take so long to produce anything. It's because we're doing real science. We're not, we're not, this isn't, this isn't, you know, we're not going to be able to just Photoshop some pictures and throw them out there for you guys. Uh, you know, this is, you know, we may not find anything worth it. We may debunk every damn piece of footage and anomaly we have, and then we'll come out, we'll give a report about how it was all debunked and that we found nothing. And that's just, that's why it's building a foundation for this field rather than just coming out and appeasing people with pretty pictures. Well, I, so, I agree with that philosophy 100%. Yeah, and I Go don't ahead, think, Matthew. I don't think any, oh, I'm oh. sorry. Um, I don't think any of us have any problems working with other groups. Like like Gary noted, we're, we're collaborating with SCU, and Matthew and I have been members with SCU for years now, mm -hmm. pre-COVID. And, um, and, and I'm also an associate with the Galileo Project, and I'm friends and, you know, often talking with people from the Galileo Project. So we are, you know, we... There is some degree of collaboration. There's some. Well, I, I have to hold on, Kevin. We have to make it very clear. We we have no direct affiliation company wise with oh, the Galileo Project. That, that is true. Yes. Me and Kevin are affiliates personally with the Galileo Project. Right. Yeah. So we don't have any official official um, linking, but but. You know, but as a scientist, I'm, you know, I know some of the astronomers that are on, on the project and we talk to each other. We compare notes. We, they oh, sometimes ask us, what equipment do you use? What did you find? You know, and, and we share some of that information and that's, that's common in science and that work that happens all the time. And mm -hmm. in some ways, I think it's good that we have different projects because, um, First, it increases our chance of success. You know, we're looking in different places. We're using different equipment, slightly different methodologies. Um, some groups might be more successful than others, and that's that will be good. Um, and um, it also means that there are more scientists involved. When you have multiple groups, each group has multiple scientists. There are more scientists involved, and that is going to continue to snowball and convince other scientists that hey there might be something to this we should maybe look into this and convince well, others to get involved and that's well, I, that's how some of these other groups started and and so so i think I, that's yeah that's I, all very positive i have yeah i have a great deal to say about, about this question about your your points uh, uh martin so okay. the um 
first, there's a good analogy with my f- field of dark matter research where we have the exact same thing, if not more. There are dozens of groups around, around the world. And, and part of the reason why is everyone wants to be the first to get that you know, Nobel Prize and not share I understand. It. Yeah. But the other part of it is, is Kevin's right. You do need some differences because then you can, you can um, find out what works and what doesn't. So if, if there was just one project looking, you know, looking into this, that would be really, really bad, right? If you had just one monolithic project. So there mm-hmm. needs to be some kind of balance. But I do agree that we could stand to use a lot more uh, collaboration. So I'll give you an example of what happened at the uh, SCU conference in, in Alabama. I had countless people coming to me in coffee breaks and stuff about their great idea for a UAP, you know, detection <clears throat> sensor or something. And I'm like, great. Why, but why don't, instead of doing your own thing, why don't you merge your ideas with existing systems who are people who are, who might be farther along, like Ron Olch that Gary mentioned, who has the UFO DAP system. And then, but then, then they never contact us again. They disappear because part of that is human nature. Everyone wants to do their own thing. I think, I do think it's heartbreaking. I do think we do need more collaboration, not hundred percent though. Like I said, all jammed into one project that wouldn't work that's not good so it's very healthy that we've got Mm -hmm. the galileo project we have uapx it's very very healthy but you know as gary pointed out we're already you know we're liaisoning with scu we're trying to reduce competition and increase collaboration uapx is already moving very hard in that direction you know what i have to say about uh gary hold that thought for a second what i have to say about what i've seen in the over 10 years that I've been doing this show is science like absolutely having nothing to do with the topic. And then it's slowly growing and growing. And I love that the SCU comes along and all, and people of science. And I always said, why doesn't science want to look at this? This is such an amazing thing. Uh, and then the, what I got for replies was, well, no one will fund them. You need, funding if you have some way to close a project if you have a an end to a project that you can cite like that's the only way you're going to get any funding for that type of thing but i think uh i've just seen everything change since i want to say 2017 everything has totally changed and and i wouldn't be having this show with you tonight if it wasn't for that for that change but go ahead gary well the the other point i want to make is that if you know we encourage as many people to start as many groups as they want uh just because there's a you know 100 groups doesn't mean there couldn't be just 100 collaborations you know one group comes yeah i i i I will be if galileo project happens to be the first people to get solid evidence on uap i i'll be happier than heck and i'll be looking exactly what they're using and i will be replicating their their research you know we will be we'll, we'll be the first ones to peer review their stuff i mean there's not many people and teams of scientists in this field period so no matter who ends up with something they're going to need peer review including us so mm-hmm. we need peers <laughs> so yeah. we, we so we, we we even if we don't even if you don't like us that's fine we, all we have to do is work together towards a common goal you know let's be like new yorkers we all hate each other until we have to come together you know hey we we, we get now's the time to come together um pieces of equipment that we want to add a lot yeah, more well, expensive let me, let versions me read of the, the things we let have me, <laughs> let me just let me read the question just for the audio uh, uh 
so the, uh, my, Mark is asking, Gary, is, is there a piece of equipment to detect UFOs that you would like to add or will be adding in the future investigations? So that was the question. Go ahead, Gary. Um, I think uh, stuff for uh, doing spe spectrum analysis on light, uh, stuff for, uh, you know, more more and more modes of light capture. Um, uh, we're actually working on a, a modified UFO depth system that's going to have several DSLR cameras that will have different types of light filters on them um, that will all be in tandem with the, Uf the UFO depth camera pointing at the same object so that we can get uh, a multi-spectral analysis of these pictures on top of everything else. Um, you know, uh, higher end FLIR cameras that have better resolution or as, uh, as, as people would say is range, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, uh, that's a, it's an inside joke. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we want to, we want to just keep upping the game, you know, and to those that say that they can't start something with nothing, we had nothing. We literally mm -hmm. had nothing and we utilized whatever tools came along and we're an all volunteer organization. You know, most of the stuff we do is coming out of pocket or by very, very few donations. We, we got our first major donation just recently and we're like squirreling it away and just, you know, Picking, you know, picking at it a little bit at a time just so we can keep the lights on. So it, it, it doesn't you don't have to have a million dollar organization or a, a Harvard backed you know, uh, you know, study program or program backing you. If you want to do it, do it. I don't have a Ph.D. I, I'm honestly the least likely person that should be running this company, but somehow it works. You know, these guys, these guys follow me through the fray and they, we all work together and I just try to provide them with everything that they need. Really. I'm, I'm, I'm just their admin B. <laughs> so, uh, here's a, here's a Dr. Richard one more time who Matthew, I think you were addressing him. The methods of natural sciences won't work, but the methods of philosophy might. What do you think of that? Oh, That's a comment gonna, or an oh, opinion. He's gonna, no, he's no, don't, don't, Matthew. Just be nice. It's, okay, it's, it's a different, it's a different uh, field. He, he's gonna hate me, but I'm sorry, but it, it's just my opinion. But if you look at history, you know, actually, science has been able to slowly take over what used to be philosophy. I'll give you an example. Um, I don't want to be mean, but this is a really relevant example, I think, is, you know, just just uh, in recent memory, in this, in, in just in the previous century, even in the latter half of that century, um, cosmology used to be like an armchair thing, like, well, how did the universe start? I don't know. How do you think the universe start? And now, you know, we've got like the age of the universe, the multiple significant figures, you know, what would Aristotle, you know, say about, about that? I think philosophy is important. It has its place. Philosophy can talk, for example, about ethics, something that science cannot directly speak to is morality and ethics. Science is about what is possible, not what should be done. So so don't so I will throw Dr. Richard a bones to philosophy is important and it has its place. But but also I'm not sure Yes, I know it still exists. Of course it does. I know professors of philosophy. But I'm saying but that many questions that used to be strictly philosophy then got answered by science and now there was less less for philosophy to Well I think people about. are I think people are also mistaking the, the, the science of philosophy being, uh, you know, philosophy allows us to dream of the questions that we need science to answer. Mm -hmm. And so they're they're really two separate things. And until, you know, you can't you can't compare the two, you know, like 
I think a lot of things. I have a philosophy of life. I have a philosophy in my marriage. I have a philosophy for everything that I do in my life. Philosophy is just a means for a tool utilized to get me motivated to get to my goals and to ask the questions. And then I use science and, you know, uh, to, to answer the questions that I get from my thinking through philosophy. So there's always a place for philosophy. We're always going to need it because if we don't, then we're not dreaming anymore and we're not looking for the, the unknown anymore. We're not, we're not dreaming up. I mean, who dreamt up the first uh, UAP? Nobody, somebody saw the thing and then philosophy took over. Well, what could it be? There you go. There's philosophy. That That is what we need. We do need philosophy. But when people want to just solely rely on that as a fact, unfortunately, that just it's not it's that's not real. OK, now next question popped up from Mike. Is it problematic getting papers published on this subject? That is a very good question, I think. I'll let these guys take that. <laughs> I don't, I, we don't really know yet, <laughs> to be honest. We've, we've only, at this point, I've only published one paper on the topic. And that was and not was so difficult because I published it through a, um, through a conference proceedings, um, which, which made that where, where, you know, in the conference, I've been attending that conference for 20 years. And um, so people were willing to hear me out. And and they then requested that I publish a full paper on it, and I did. How so, was it received? So, yep. Oh, it was it was pretty well received. Um, they, I think the um, the most of the people attending the conference were intrigued and interested. That was my talk on the flight characteristics of UAPs. Oh yes, I, um, I remember that. Yeah. There mm -hmm. were there there. It was very funny because. Um, one of my close friends and colleagues was there who was very passionate, was um, very upset by my talk and, and, and basically stood up and, well, I was talking about how, you know, scientists, how people aren't open-minded enough to even consider the possibilities. And, and at some point he stood up and he said, oh, I refuse to believe this is true. He goes, you could take me to a UFO and give me a tour and I still wouldn't believe it. And I, and, and my other colleagues told him to sit down and be quiet and be respectful. And I, mm -hmm. and I thanked him because I said, thank you for illustrating how passionate people are against this topic <laughs> and how yeah. this is very, very innate and people don't want to believe it. And that's really the problem. It's, it isn't, they, they don't want it to be true to the degree where they don't want to look at data. They don't want to even consider data. Well, people didn't want the Earth to go around the, the sun or for Jupiter's to have moons. That didn't yeah, make it, it was the, 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 the same The same types yeah. of feelings were there yeah. as well. Yeah. This is, a, this is these, these issues change worldviews, and people don't like their worldviews being changed. And, and well, in reference to the previous question on philosophy, I wanted to add that um, – a lot of that, the, the, the supposition that natural science won't work, that's, that's a supposition. We don't know that natural science won't work in dis explaining these things. People are claiming this because they believe that this is somehow supernatural or preternatural. And, and my feelings on that topic are that if it exists, it's natural, period. That's it. There yeah, there's an explanation for it. And, 
and, it's and like, if, it's, if there's some kind of consistency, then there's an explanation. So I had and a that's quote. That's what on, we're going to do is look for that explanation. That's I had a qu- I had a quote on this that got cut out of the movie, though, which is that uh, men, there there are instances, not obviously not often, but there are instances of what is at one point called supernatural or paranormal is just natural that we haven't explained yet. You know, think of the earthquake lights earlier. People used to think, oh, it's like you know the the lost souls of people dying in the who are going to die in the earthquake or died or something like and their orbs or something and turns out it's piezoelectricity you see what i mean is that not everything that's um that is seen and is considered initially to be somehow not natural or unnatural that's that can end up being something science just hasn't caught up with yet and explained yet And sometimes that's because we're not allowed to. And there's a lot of circularity, like Kevin and I have been talking about, the reason why it's so hard to publish papers on UAPs is because, there, or, or might be, as Kevin says, we're about to find out, um, is because there aren't any papers. Why are there no papers? Because it's hard to publish. See, it's like, it's an oxymoron. Yeah. Someone needs to have the courage to break yes. through the oxymoron. And that's what we're going to try to do on you. And I think with respect to your comment, Matthew, another example is the fact that the sun used to be considered a god. True. Used to be supernatural. Or light, lightning, true. right? Lightning comes from Thor or, or Zeus. Yeah. Before we understood Maxwell's equations, lightning was magic, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up in the uh, tear, tear in the sky... The anomaly and uh, what because a lot of people have asked me is there has there been any conclusion on that strange tear in the sky whatever it was uh what do you what's what's up what's the update with that well uh we we still refer to it in the company as a atmospheric anomaly uh we're still researching it um we're still we still have to uh, make sure that there, it is no you know, type of a lens issue. Um, we're actually buying an entirely new UFO DAP with all of the same things to retest the conditions to make sure that it's not a radiation uh, uh, spot, you know, radiation spots on the CCD, uh, making sure that there's no type of camera problems or if that if it can be replicated. You know, if we can replicate it, we know that it was something that happened, you know, and it wasn't an actual event. You know, basically, we're going to do everything we can to disprove this as as like, an, you know, a uh, uh, some type of anomalous event. But, it, you know, it appears to be a pr- really, really interesting an- atmospheric anomaly that I don't believe that anybody's actually seen before. OK, great. Now, listen, I just have to tell you that in just a minute here, we're going off KGRA radio and. I feel like I have a couple more questions I'd like to ask. Can we continue a little bit for 15 minutes longer? Um, and we'll be on YouTube and, and Facebook and we'll, uh, and Twitch, and we'll also be in the audio podcast. If that's all right with all you guys, I'm putting you all on the spot right now. Yeah, so that's about 15 minutes longer. And okay. so I probably I'm going to, at this point, um, I'm going to ask you, uh, uh, Kevin, you mentioned earlier, what do you think about the James Webb, images they're just fantastic aren't they oh they're beautiful and, and amazing yeah this is this is a huge breakthrough and it's going to give us a whole new window on the universe and um there it's a huge deal 
It is. Now, I'm going to go, we're going to just take a little 30-second break, not long enough for you to get up and get a glass of water or anything, but I'm going to say goodbye to everyone over at KGRA Radio. Thank you all, and we'll be back next week with Randall Nickerson. He's going to be talking about the aerial school phenomenon video, but he's going, I'm giving him a platform where he's going to rant, and that is about Netflix. It should be very, very interesting oh, next no. week. Yes, and I, I hope I, we don't I hope I, I got to meet him at SCU, and he is, he's wonderful, and he gave us he's a, a wonderful guy. movie, and, and it was a brilliant movie, yeah. All right, so don't go anywhere, everyone, uh, and I'm saying goodbye over at KGRA Radio. We'll be back in 30 seconds for those of you in Facebook and on YouTube. Okay, we're back, and my guests, uh, we have the three guests here. We'll bring them right back on. But um, I had a boat just pull in right next to me. <laughs> Hopefully it won't be too noisy here. I might have to uh, I might have to mute my mic. But I have a, so I have, I know you base your things on science mostly, but I'm, I'm gonna ask some philosophical questions a little bit. Um, why would you think that if these objects are visiting us, from wherever they're visiting us, why would they have lights? Does anyone want to? Does anyone want to take that? Uh, so I got the. I don't best know. Why do you turn on your porch light? <laughs> I I got I got the best answer from Eric Davis on this. Actually, they're not lights. Okay. They're just they're just um, invisible light from infrared, microwave, radar, and radio frequencies that are Doppler blue shifted up into the visible now that 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 is going to explain glows that's not going to explain what sometimes looks like discrete lights that look like navigation lights but that's the best explanation i've ever heard from anyone it's not mine like i said it's eric's and my, i my real, go ahead go ahead go ahead my real opinion on lights is that we're not dealing with just one phenomenon yeah, uh, you know, we, we probably have multi multitude of phenomenon. We probably have uh, man made man made objects that people are seeing. We're seeing, uh, you know, uh, you know, UAPs that we can't under you know we don't know what they're from. We you know they off world UAPs, on world UAPs, uh, orbs, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, when you say lights, you really got to be more specific. Yeah, I mean the items, the objects have lights on them is what I meant because yeah, they're probably man made then. <laughs> nuts and bolts i don't know i i also have you know we have two accounts we have uh charles halt and a, a good friend of mine who's on the antiques road show uh james callahan both saw something very similar they saw an object turn into lights i know that sounds crazy and my friend from the antiques road show was with a bunch of witnesses at his college and this thing was box shaped it shot up in the sky uh, a jet went after it, afterburner and all that, and the thing burst into five lights and then was uh, a sequencing back and forth. And that's very similar. I talked to Charles Holt about it, and he said, Is it, you know, basically what he saw happen to that uh, object in, that looked like an eyeball that burst into lights. Uh, so, I mean, really bizarre. I mean, all I can say is unexplainable. I mean, at this point but yeah i think i think that's part of the problem is we don't really we don't know what these things are 
and the and it's difficult to generalize because there can be multiple explanations and then and the answer for each explanation could be different so so we're in a very difficult situation right now trying to answer these questions um, and then you know i mean a lot of the uh uh, the hypothesis is extraterrestrial. A lot of people think that they are. Uh, that again, I agree, could be part of the part of it, but not all of it. I don't believe it's all of it, but it could be part of it. But I mean, the problem I was having when I was interviewing scientists before any of you was that uh, people like Seth Shostak and other skeptics would say there's absolutely no way that anything could travel. It wouldn't make any sense of the distances. And no, 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 no. Yeah. why yeah, people, I, people people said that about Lord Kelvin said that heavier than air flying machines are impossible in 1890 something. We barely know yeah. we barely can get off the planet at this point. We don't we're not experts on this. This is an yeah. engineering question, not a physics question. And engineering is about finding workarounds to problems. Um, and we don't know how to do this yet. That's yeah. all there is to it. I'm so sick of hearing this argument repeated that I'm actually inspired by Kevin to I'm going to write a, a medium essay about this debunking all these stupid repeated ideas from scientists who are ordinarily brilliant. All of a sudden, these brilliant scientists forget special relativity that they should have been teaching are teaching to their undergrads. Time dilation and length contraction help you. So like Kevin said, it's not a question of physics. It's a question of engineering and humanity. Humanity has already shown again and again and again and again with air travel and the local space travel we're capable of doing that engineers can find clever loopholes in the existing laws of physics. You don't need any FTL. You don't need any warp drives. You don't need any wormholes. They'd be nice. Don't get me wrong. They'd be icing on the cake. But you just use good old-fashioned relativistic time dilation that we've known about since, what, 1905? And it's 2022. So I hate hearing that over and over again. It's too far. It would take too long. It sounds like the same old arguments we've heard about air travel being impossible and space travel going back centuries. Why do human beings, intelligent scientists, Make the same mistakes over and over again. Claiming that something is difficult is impossible. I'm sorry, but there's an infinity of difference between difficult and impossible because difficult means possible. So it's very, very different yeah. than impossible. Yeah, that is a great answer. I love that. That really is. And, you know, I mean, I've always thought maybe it's just something we don't know. You know, we we wouldn't be able to figure it out. And um, And then I heard another, this is, another one that I really liked, and I think it might have started with Jacques Vallée, might have said it first or something like that. But um, I, I'm just throwing these things at, at you, and that is uh, we may not even be able to understand what they are. I love that one. I don't even... That's very possible. We don't know yet yeah. what the situation yeah. is. And yeah, it could take, it could mean that these things are so different that it's going to take a long, long time for us to start to get a handle on this. New theories might be needed. Who knows? And uh, and for the most part, you know, I, I it seems like whatever they are are benign. You know, you do hear about things every once in a while. But um, uh, I guess here's another thing about crash retrieval. You know, there's a lot of people that ask that question. Do we have something? Do we not? How could they possibly crash here? Um, you know, on and on and on. Um, any thoughts on that? 
Well, any technology, any type of technology is fallible. So, yeah. you know, whether it's whether it's off-world technology or it's our technology, it can it can it has it has a only a finite use. I mean, eventually it's going to fail. So, and and if you're not from here, Earth is a very hostile environment. Yes, especially and around military bases. Yes, yeah, there's a lot of gun nuts here. But I've. My, my, my original take on it was I was I always thought that if they're so advanced, why are they crashing so often? But 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 the thing is, I've become increasingly convinced there might be something to this. This this comes up you know all the time. This came up during the congressional hearing, and I noticed their sneaky answer: No, we don't have parts. You know, mm -hmm. in the government possession. Yeah, but yeah, what about independent privatized. contractors? Yeah. Yeah. So if mm -hmm. I was if I was sitting on the committee, oh, I wouldn't have let them get get away with that. I would have been like. Um, how about those independent FOIA exempt contractors you're hiding all the parts with? So, so yeah, I, I've grown now. I'm not convinced they're necessarily, you know, we have like, you know, alien bodies in the freezer because I think I'm, I'm with Kevin on this one is that, you know, who knows we could have, you know, von Neumann probes, AI, like Avi Loeb says. So I, 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 I have some, a tiny fraction of me thinks it's possible. We might have some. We might have some parts, but I'm much more skeptical that there's like we have like bodies in, in the freezer. I don't know in uh, Wright Patterson, right, or Roswell or something. So no, they're in formaldehyde yeah. jars. That's what okay. okay formaldehyde. Yeah, but no, I, I I've gotten increasingly convinced that there might be something to parts. But my take on it is, if it is true, we have almost no hope of reverse engineering. And I've argued this with um, Hal Putoff and Eric Davis. Of like, I feel like if we do have any parts, it, imagine taking your laptop that you're on right now, Martin, give it to the most brilliant scientists of the 1890s. Give yeah. it to Michael Faraday. Do you think he would ever figure it out? He would die trying. He, and by the time they figure it out, we, humanity will already already have it on our own. I, I feel like if we do have parts, we're like 1890s scientists given a PC or Mac laptop from today. We 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 will we don't know our head. We wouldn't know our head from our ass with it. And so but that's you, why. But you still have to try. But you still have to try. <laughs> I'm not saying don't try. You must try. Yeah, absolutely. There are hammers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how they would even think of taking it apart, but yeah. yeah, no, no, it's, that's, that does make a lot of sense. And, you know, it just, and, and, you know, a lot of people too, here's, here's another thing that you hear a lot of people say, and, you know, uh, Kevin, you mentioned, you saw the Ariel phenomenon, which I thought was a fantastic film. And um, there's the telepathy um, that you hear mm. about. And that is just fascinating to me because um, it, it, a lot of it, uh, what people are talking about that they hear is, you know, maybe seeing a vision of a destruction of a planet. And one of the thing in the Ariel school, they showed them things, but they never said how to fix it or anything. There wasn't any of that. It was just showing them this is what's going to happen or, or happening or whatever. They all had that feeling like, but they didn't have any feeling of how to fix it, just how it this, was. This for me is puzzling and intriguing. It's, I don't know what the heck is going on. I am especially puzzled because I did, my PhD thesis was in physics and neuroscience and my postdoctoral work was in neuroscience. And I know a bit about brain computer interface and that sort of thing. And human brains are still 
two humans are still sufficiently different from one another that you can't just take a brain-computer interface device on one person and put it on another and get it to work. So you can't get a computer to telepath telepathically through equipment to communicate with the human brain. So I don't know how an alien would do it or whatever the heck these things are. Um, it makes me suspicious, makes me think maybe it's some kind of technology rather than biology. Um, if it was biology, there's no reason they would be compatible with us, especially if they're from another planet. So that doesn't make sense. So I find the whole thing very confusing. And then, of course, so, so I don't physically see how it's possible. Um, yet that's what is reported by, by lots of the kids who encountered them at the aerial, in the aerial phenomena at the aerial school. And, yeah. and other people who claim to have such encounters. So, so I really don't know what to make of this. I find it very perplexing, and, but it's intriguing. And it, it's one of, I, I try to tell, you know, my fellow scientists who are working on these things, the, the, it's very difficult to deal with anecdotal data because it isn't data. It's, it's their stories, right? So mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you know what to pay attention to? And so the trick that I use typically is to, you know, the, 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 the statements or the events that are not expected are those that are providing the most information. Um, and that's some information theory there. So, so, mm -hmm. so those are the most informative. And if you have many stories that where they all provide the same, where they all have the same unexpected component, that's something to pay attention to. It doesn't mean it's correct. It doesn't mean that's what happened. It doesn't mean their interpretation's correct, but but it means you should pay attention. And that's what I yeah. try to do. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And, You're right. I mean, if, but, and and it's, it's not just there. It's It's been other, other people have also claimed over the years. Yeah, so pay attention yeah. to it. You don't have to believe it, but pay attention. Yeah. It's something you ought to be paying attention to. That's the way I look at it. And, Here's and, a, and of course, ahead, if, if it is telepathic communication, then, yeah, you do have to ask the question, what were they trying to accomplish by showing these little kids pictures of the destruction of the earth? I mean, how? what, what are you trying to accomplish here? There's... It looks like there's this incredible social disconnect, if anything. Um, I have to tell you this. I have to tell you this one story. I'm losing a, losing a little bit of light here. But I had I had this guy on that contacted me named Albert Wayne. He talked about a uh, case back in on I-95 going from uh, Massachusetts down to New York with him and his girlfriend pulled over. And this object he saw was like across the street. And he, he described it was really very strange looking. And then all of a sudden, in an instant, it was over them. And they look up and he says, I don't want to say it, but it was silhouettes of beings looking down. And then he says, and all of a sudden I felt in my head, don't worry, we're not going to hurt you. We're just observing. That was what he got. And But the, the, the most crazy thing about that story is everyone that had pulled over on the side of the road and was watching this thing, and then it shot over to where it was again in the tree were waving back and forth like a hurricane below it and then it shot off but everyone that drove off on i-95 took the he said to his girlfriend we should go get an ice cream afterwards everyone turned on the first exit they all pulled into to a howard johnson's and um for ice cream that's really I mean, weird <laughs> it's, a, it's an amazing oh, story right where you had people pulled over for several miles on i-95 i remember that that happened at one point this was in the 70s 
Yeah. Yeah, Matthew, go ahead. There's a specific point that Kevin also, and you had mentioned about, you know, visions of the, the, the end of the end of the world. Right. Yeah. Um, I have a very cynical take on this, which is that um, if we are, if aliens are real, maybe they're doing an anthropological study and saying, look, this is how a civilization self-destructs watch, you know, you know, COVID Ukraine and all this Putin's going to launch, you know, maybe nuclear missiles, maybe, you know, this is all uh, it's very cynical, but what if we're an anthropological study of like, this is what, what not to do observe as, as humanity destroys itself. And it's a, it's a live anthropology study for some extraterrestrial graduate PhD class or something in, in you know, <laughs> Zeno anthropology or something. So sometimes yeah. that, that thought keeps me up at night because I worry that it's a little too plausible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really, uh, it really, you know, does make a pot, you know, I mean, I remember I had a Dr. Jeffrey Bennett astrophysicist on my show and he said that him and his fellow colleagues at NASA would kind of talk about, any civilization that could get through the bottleneck of uh, technology without blowing themselves up will probably be traveling the stars, which I thought was, you know, that one line, any, they get through the bottleneck of technology without blowing themselves up. I think that is for any sophisticated uh, society will go through that bottleneck. And I feel like we're kind of in the bottleneck. I, I think we have a hatred bottleneck. Actually, we hate each. We hate. We hate ourselves. How? How? How would we greet extraterrestrials, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Good point. Um, here's a can of worms that I don't know if I really want to open because uh, I did a blog on Bob Lazar, and uh, that I don't basically boils down to like I I don't buy his story, and I've looked into it deeply, and I have never been more attacked uh, since I've done this show than. Me having that opinion, all these people saying they'll never. I can tell. I'll tell you what I think again. about this. All right. I'm sorry. I'm just jumping in here. Okay. Just be prepared I, for I hate mail. <laughs> that's fine. They can yeah, look. Hate me for this opinion if you want. I don't care. Um, I find that his he knows clearly knows enough physics to be able to describe some of these things in. The, you know, the common vernacular that we use, you know, the technical tech speak. He clearly knows enough physics. And what he doesn't do is he doesn't go into enough detail to allow a physicist to realize that he's wrong. Now, that Mm. takes some care. Because... Somebody who doesn't know physics very well, who knows just enough physics to tell an interesting story and make up, make up an interesting story, will easily cross the line into nonsense, where a professional physicist will be listening would be able to say, oh, they clearly don't know what they're talking about. This is nonsense. And that would be done. He very He never provides enough information for you to verify that what he's talking about is correct, physics-wise. But he also doesn't provide enough information for you to falsify it. Mm. And I think that that's on purpose Mm. because that's a very fine, that's a very delicate line. And it takes somebody who knows what they're doing to be able to walk it. 
And so for that reason, I think that it's on purpose. And I think he's purposefully, um, I think that he's not telling the truth. He's not completely honest. I don't know whether yeah. it's partially yeah, I, true. I, I'm, I don't I'm know definitely, but I don't think it's 100% true. Well, I'm definitely with you on that, Kevin. I, I think that it's uh, like my personal view on him is, is it's a mixed bag. I believe that he did work in some type of government lab, saw probably things he didn't understand, and basically filled in the gaps for the media and had a great story to begin with, kept it simple in his first interview. And then as the, well, what else? thing comes in it because i get i get asked questions all the time well what else do you know and i go i've told you everything i don't have anything else well, there's, and, and yeah. i think he got caught up with that and he just honestly i think he made some shit up to keep himself safe so well, that the government's like well he's he's shooting himself in the foot so nobody's gonna believe him well there's one caveat also to um to what kevin said i do think he has said one thing that was falsifiable the whole element 115 thing which is then discovered and of course, yeah. it's not stable because it's too damn heavy. And then, of course, then the retreat to, oh, well, you know, there's this magical way of making it stable that we haven't discovered yet. If I was him, I would have gone much higher, like something we won't discover for centuries, like element, like unhexoctium, 168, because then it's not it's not disprovable. Um, but, but yeah, th there are, like Kevin said, bits and pieces of truth. There may be islands of stability at higher at higher atomic numbers on the periodic table. There may be stable elements at extremely high numbers of neutrons but unfortunately uh 115 is not one of them and and so so there is already one gigantic hole so i just wanted to add that one caveat to it said kevin is the whole element 115 so so yeah i'm extremely skeptical but one thing that that forced me to reconsider some of my skepticism was when i was watching the podcast lex friedman's podcast and he was interviewing commander david fravor and David Fravor saying how he's friends with Bob Lazar, and I'm like, wow, okay, oh, so you're kidding? So, no, no, this is, this is this was in the three hour interview with Lex Friedman, and I was yeah. like, wait, Fravor's friends with Bob Lazar? I'm like, so then um, I, I was well, starting. I hate to, I hate to throw yeah. some rain on that, but you got to <laughs> remember do. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they were all in the same camp with uh, with uh, Corbell and. No, I know, I know. That. Yeah. So I mean, they're they're all going to talk to each other. So I mean, oh, that's right. Said, Corbell he, and Fravor were friends. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. whenever they say that he's he's friends with them, it could be in a very general meaning. You know, it may yeah. not be like we're buddies having beers out back, and I believe everything he says. I can just say, yeah, I'm friends with him. I've got plenty of friends that I believe no, some no, no, things no, no, from no. him. And no, he was specifically <laughs> talking about having barbecues with him, him and his wife, and Bob Lazar and his wife. No, no, no. Like it, it was deep. Yeah, that, I was it, was, like, it, was it was probably a yeah. recent. Type of thing, not a okay, okay. Not, not like yeah. a back in the day thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I have to say something. I I uh, I spoke with, um, well, I probably can't. Someone in the government, okay, that we all know. <laughs> I don't know someone formally in the government that we all know, um, and he was. Uh, I'm just going to give away too much by saying this. It had to do with Joe Rogan. It had to do with what Bob Lazar supposedly told told Joe Rogan off air and said he couldn't repeat it. And that was repeated to this person. And I, the first thing I have to say, okay, so Bob Lazar can talk publicly about reverse engineering, the most incredible classified situation in the entire world, but he can't talk about why it's really true that he did it. I mean, come on. So anyway, that person said that, 
okay, now I'm totally skeptical of Bob Lazar after after look, if Bob after Lazar what? look not knowing any physics we can already try to debunk the physics that Kevin said not knowing any physics let's use logic here if he was for real he would have already committed suicide with two you know bullets to the back of the the head out in the desert if he was re- for real he would have been taken care of already come on we can use yeah. logic I mean that's, yeah. a, that's a lot yeah. of supposition but I think that yeah. I would I would be interested in learning more and hearing more of the boring, horribly boring technical details of anything. You know, how did he find, how did they find out it was element 115? What technique did they use to, to find the mass of the, those atoms? How did they isolate them? And, you know, to, because if you've got to keep the one element, if you got to keep element 115 inside the device to keep it stable, as was claimed, then to figure out that it's actually element 115, you're going to have to take it out of that device and put it in your equipment that measures the mass. So how did they do that? And what kind exactly. of mass? How did they figure out the mass? Yeah, we don't have tricorders. You provide those details convincingly, you're going you're gonna to have another support, a possible supporter. That's a good thing. Well, but I, I, I don't I think, think it's possible to provide those. He, well, he um, says he has a sample. He, he has said on record as a sample. And then, oh, I can't give it away because that's all I've got. I'm sorry, that's bullshit. If you have 100 grams, give one gram to scientists and Kevin and I go, oh, yeah, look, there it is. It's 115. Run mass spec on it and stuff like that. So it's convenient how, like, you can't even share one drop of a sample. That just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, you know, he was a photo processor and and then he was a photo processor that went bankrupt and then was able to get the highest secure, you know, clearance possible in eight days. So there you go right there. Yep. and which takes a year to get. Um, but anyway, um, I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for this, so we can uh, we can turn it on. I, I guess uh, we're we're at uh, about 20 minutes. Well, after. Welcome to the club. I get a lot of hate mail already. <laughs> so I guess yeah, uh, I'm, what I'm, I'm not I'm not so concerned about that. I'm, I want I don't want to believe things. I want to know them. Yeah, that's a higher standard. And Sorry, I, this is going to decrease the hate mail. I want to say one more thing, which is I would love for him for to be for real. That yeah. would be amazing. I, I am open yeah. to that possibility, but given what we just discussed last few minutes, there are some serious concerns that can be raised. Yeah. And I don't think it's all nonsense at all. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was all made up. I don't think that that's the case, but, but well, I do he, find he some of it suspicious. He definitely didn't go to MIT. I know someone there in records and yeah. they have all the access to any possible way that he could have ever been there, and he's never been there. Yeah, right. So he didn't even know what square was out front of uh, that. He didn't know Kendall Square was out in front no, of MIT. No, no it reminds yeah. me of Catch Me If You Can, the book, and remember the movie. Yes. Would like, oh, so you went to that school? Oh, do you remember Professor So and So? Yeah, no one can be that thoroughly erased. Yeah, he did not yeah. go to MIT. That's that's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So um, to me. As an appraiser, when I find something wrong in an estate or something like that, I look at everything because mm-hmm. I don't believe in anything anymore, you know. So anyway, um, I would like to leave on a, a higher note than Bob Lazar. <laughs> so I guess I'm going to ask you, what do you what do you expect is coming down the pike for UAPX? What are your hopes? And uh, anyone can can fill that in. I'm hoping Kevin. that we can collect more data. And that we find things of interest. And that we finally learn something. Mm-hmm. 
uh, Matthew. Not anything at this yeah. point would be great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to, my, my big hope is to get at a minimum, at a minimum, one interesting publication in a good scientific journal where we've gone through every hoop. And so what, what my, what, what my vision is, is I want to go through every possible mundane prosaic explanation rule it in or rule it out as for our for our famous you know hole in the sky especially is 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 even if we can't conclude what it is what can we say that it's not i want to test water droplet insect camera glitch and see to what degree of confidence can we rule in or rule out all the different hypotheses and if we could get even one one paper out on one anomaly from even our first expedition it would be a massive massive achievement i think for the field of uap studies where existing papers like kevin's excellent work with his with friends on scu that's been analyzing historical cases i'm not aware of anyone going out getting their own data and succeeding in getting something published in a high quality high impact scientific journal I think that's unheard of, and we want to break that ceiling. We want to break through that ceiling and make that possible. Um, that that would be a dream come true. Uh, as uh, for, for uh, speaking for myself as part of the the team of UAPX, sounds great. Gary, any final words? Yes. Uh, everybody stay skeptically open minded. Uh, never, never, always questioned everything, and never just assume what you want to be true is true. Uh, you know, at UAPX, we want to build that foundation. We want we want to bring this to the scientific community. We want to have uh, strong foundations and continue. And we we raise our hands out to anybody serious in the field. That is an actual serious request for anybody in the field that is scientifically minded and in serious need of any type of help always reach out we you, you you may it may take me about three or four weeks to get back to you but that's far <laughs> for the course when it comes to email uh but you know we uh I, i'm really proud of the team that we've developed and and where our company has gone and you know uh i pray for a billion dollar budget next year so <laughs> that's not going to happen but <laughs> i pray for it <laughs> so uh keep Very keep good. looking keep looking up yeah that's how I end every show. Thank you all very much. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. I really enjoyed talking to you tonight, especially when I was asking you your opinions. Um, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Thanks so much. And I'll be talking to you all soon. Take care. Thank you so much, Martin. Take care. Thank you for having us. Bye. Yeah, you bet. Bye. Uh, all right, everyone. So, wow, I don't have any light left here. Um, but thank you all for hanging in there. And I'll be back next week, as I mentioned uh, with Randall Nickerson. It should be a very interesting show uh, next week. We're going to talk a little bit about the movie, and I'm going to let him rant about what happened with him and Netflix. It's very unfortunate. And then we'll talk about other things as well. It's not going to all be uh, a soapbox for him. So, all right, everyone. Thanks again. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky. Mm -hmm.